You know, I every time there's announcements and I hear just all the things that are happening in the life of our community, uh, my heart gets filled with gratitude just knowing that beyond when we come here on Sundays, that God is doing so much more uh, throughout the week. And so I'm just so encouraged by all the ways that God is using us and allowing us to be a part of his redemptive plan that touches people that may never come through these doors, but we get to extend the grace and love of Jesus. And so could you give yourself a hand one more time? Because that doesn't happen if you don't say yes to Jesus in the ways that you're saying yes. And so, so encouraged, so grateful. Um, We're continuing our sermon series through the book of Romans. If you have not been here for a bit, I encourage you to go to our website and catch up with where we've been because uh, we've been studying and preaching through this book, um, and we've done quite a bit of work. Uh, We're remaining in chapter 8, and I'm going to read for context verse 1 and onward, but we're picking up where we left off last week, and we're going to focus our time today on verses 9 to 11. Uh, you know, I'm going to share this this service. I didn't get to share it this the first service because it kind of escaped my mind. But this Sunday is the last sermon on Romans for now. Aw, right? Is it, I mean, I've, I've grown quite affectionate to this book. Um, on a Sunday, how many are coming to the retreat? You guys are going to get to hear some more sermons on Romans. Boom. All right. Um, <laughs> We're going to spend a bit more time in Romans, but the retreat sermons, absolutely final pause, and we're going to pick up this series next year um, and finish this book, uh, which will be quite the accomplishment. Um, As I've shared with you, uh, most pastors, uh, I understand why they avoid this book. Um, It's not an easy book to preach through. It's quite dense, uh, but I look forward to us completing that journey. So next week, we start a brand new sermon series And I am really excited for what I believe the Lord's going to do next week and over the month of November. And so I encourage you uh, next week when you wake up Sunday morning and you get that invitation to attend uh, Bedside Baptist and listen to uh, Pastor Pillow and hang out with Brother Sheets, um, don't go to that church. That church is not a good church. Um, Say no to Bedside Baptist. Come to Hope Astoria, because uh, we're going to, some of you look confused. It's like, is there a place called Bedside Bed? It's a joke. I'm saying your bed <laughs> is a church. All right, anyway, so next week, make sure you come, because um, I really believe we're going to dive into some stuff that's going to be quite powerful for us as a community. Let's go to Scripture, Romans chapter 8, verse 1 to verse 11. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh 
cannot please God. Verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to gather in your strong and precious name. We ask that you would be with us as we go to your word. And we pray you'd give us hearts that would be receptive to your instruction. Illuminate your word to us. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're here and that you desire to reveal Jesus, to glorify him. And we pray you would do that in our hearts today. And we thank you, Father, that we can meet you in the vastness of your love. We pray you'd be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I want to draw your attention to the first part of verse 9 uh, once more. It says, you, however are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. But also look at verse 10. It says, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. You know, if depending on your familiarity with the Bible, maybe you've been studying it for a while, or maybe you're brand new to the faith and you haven't really studied the scriptures a whole lot, um, one thing you'll find as you study the scriptures, we're confronted with this really profound idea, this concept that I think we need to let settle in. And I think it's a concept we need to let settle in because our culture tries to tell us something very different or opposite of that. What we see in the Bible is that what we, God describes himself in such a way that he tells us that he and, our, and us are not the same. He created us. That's what the scriptures tell us. He is God and he's near us. He's for us. In fact, we're reading in verse 9 and 10 that he dwells in us. He's that close to us. Yet, the line is very clear and it's drawn very clear that God and us are not the same. That God is distinct and he's above us, and even though he's near us and, in fact, has come to dwell in us, he and us are not the same. Our culture tells us something different. Our culture actually tells us that you and I are God. Our culture actually tries to encourage us to think of ourselves as our own gods, to call our own shots, to determine right and wrong independently with no inf information or direction from God. In fact, uh, recently I was uh, officiating a funeral for some family and uh, these are some cousins that are still very much in the streets. Uh, these cousins, um, some of them have had a lifetime career, in essence, of selling drugs in and out of jail. Um, this is the culture. This is who they are. I love them to pieces. Uh, they invite me every time for a funeral. Um, I'm, I'm Pastor Chris. Uh, this is my, I get introduced. This is my cousin. We're so proud of him. You know? and, and so I'm there. I'm loving him. 
And in those moments, I realized just how much I've been like the degrees of separation because it takes me a few seconds to catch up with the vernacular because um, there's like, they, they, they're talking in ways that I'm disconnected from. Like, I'm, I'm an old man. I, I'm a parent. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not running in these streets, as they say. And so as I'm there, one of them turns to the other one and is like, yo, man, you a god. And it's like, yo, bro, thank you, man. I feel that. And I was like, oh, wow, this is what it's come to. This is how we affirm each other now. Like, we'll actually tell one another, you're a god. But the reality is we're not. God is God. And we are not. There is a distinction. Yet, despite that profound distinction that God is who he is and we are not God, we're told this profound reality, this truth, that God's plan all along was to dwell inside of us. The living God, his plan for our transformation to make us more like his son all along involved him taking residence inside of us, dwelling inside of us. If you are a follower of Jesus, the scriptures tell us that you are not in the flesh, but you are in the spirit simply because the spirit of God dwells in you. That's an amazing truth because it tells us you and I are not in the spirit if we do spiritual things. We are not in the spirit because we walk in the spirit. We're in the spirit because the spirit of God lives inside of us. So before we take even one step in this long journey that's known walking in the spirit, we are already in the spirit. We are already uh, disposed and kind of oriented towards saying yes to God, not because of anything we've done, but simply because he says, I'm going to take residence inside of you. I live inside of you. Despite the fact that our culture tries to tell us that we're God even though we're not, the other thing that is just in the air of our society is that our society tries to tell us that our worth is determined by the things we own, by the accomplishments we achieve, by the pedigree of our life, whether it's the school we went to, the grades we acquired, the neighborhood we grew up in, where we live now, that's what our society tries to tell us. Your worth is determined and dependent on that. And it's one of the saddest things that we actually believe. Some of my, my, my kids, their friends, come from incredibly wealthy families, like ridiculous wealth. Like one of them recently was invited to go hang out on their yacht in Montauk. I was like, oh. And so I said, well, we're busy. We're going to be on our yacht, the Staten Island Ferry. <laughs> no. um, next week, maybe. Um, it's, it's like I don't even know what to do with that kind of. But what's amazing and heartbreaking, if you've ever been around folks who are defined, their self-worth is defined by the things that they own, it's actually quite sad because the living God would say, no, you're way more valuable than that. You're worth so much more than your possessions. We live in a culture that tells us we can't be happy unless X. 
And there's so many folks that are living like just really depressed, sad lives. And, and ultimately, it's because we've bought into this lie that because we don't have what society tells us we need to have in order to be happy, well-adjusted, we live so weighed down. And yet, what we read from this scripture actually has the capacity to change your whole outlook, your whole like chemical makeup. It changes how you see yourself and how you live and how you interpret reality because what this scripture tells us is that you and I have a reason to have self-worth that's through the roof. You and I have a reason to walk into any room we walk into with confidence, with, like, with swagger. And it has nothing to do with what we own or what we accomplish. It has everything to do with the fact the living God lives inside of me. That's why you can pick your head up. That's why you can walk with dignity. That's why whether you have a lot or you have a little, it makes no difference. You could be rooted in a place of joy and confidence because if you believe, if I believe what verse 9 and 10 tells us, the living God dwells inside of us. Like no matter what happens for the rest of your day, that truth should override everything. If you leave here, you get bad news. Man, that's terrible. I can't believe this is happening. But the living God lives inside of me. If this week you go through circumstances that you wish you wouldn't be going through and they're difficult, it's not to negate that they're difficult. It's not to say that you should deny their difficulty. You can do both. You can say, man, this is difficult and challenging. But also, the living God dwells inside of me. Thank you. The living God dwells in us. There's nothing more transformative than that. A poor person, their life completely changes the moment the living God lives inside of them. Even if their income doesn't change, their economic status, the living God lives inside of them. A rich person, their life automatically changes when the living God lives inside of them because now their life is not determined and defined by the things that they own alone. God dwells in us. And why did we need this? Because earlier on in Romans, we're told that the law was weakened by sinful flesh, that its ability to transform us was hindered by the fact that our sinful flesh was constantly resisting God's word to us. So what was God's plan? He says, I'm going to take residence inside of my people, and from within them, I'll transform them. The living God lives inside of us. He's taken residence in us. And one of the reasons, or one of the implications, what becomes possible by the living God living inside of us is that we could come to believe something very profound. Look at what it says in the second part of verse 9. Let me read the first part for context. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Can you say the word belonging? I think sometimes as we get older, it's easy to forget how powerful a force, an impulse, is the need to belong. Because when we're younger, 
it's like in our face quite a bit. I want to bring up some memories that maybe you want to forget. And so if this is, brings up some stuff, see me after. I'll give you a hug, pray for you. I, I don't mean to make light of it. I'm being serious. Because um, this, this scene I'm about to say might trigger some stuff. How many remember being in the cafeteria as a kid? What, there was more than just food being eaten. The social order was, was on display. What table could you sit at? Which one were you invited to? Which one were you not allowed to go to? Man, does that bring up some soggy memories? Uh, what was happening in those moments? We longed to belong. And we were wrestling trying to find, where do I belong? How many moments in life has that drive, has that need to belong been there shaping us, impacting us? It's a powerful impulse. And even till today, regardless of how sophisticated we've become and how mature we are in several areas, we still desire to belong. Not so long ago, I was in a group uh, with uh, grown adults. Like these folks are, have careers and have grown children and have owned homes and like they're kind of settled in life and somebody brought up and say oh you you know last weekend at the block party it was fun and then all of a sudden some folks in the group like block party last weekend I wasn't invited and all of a sudden grown adults I'm seeing it's like oh no Where's the schoolyard, you know, security? It's about to go down. You know, like, it, all of a sudden it felt that tension of what was happening. People felt left out. They didn't feel included. To this day, that will impact us. If we're not included, if we're forgotten consistently, is this need to belong is quite powerful. I remember there was this young man, um, I had the privilege of, um, mentoring him and being in his life for a little bit. Uh, when, I, when I first began in ministry, I was a youth pastor for quite some time. It was like over 10 years. Um, I remember that number because I did research. And youth leaders typically didn't last beyond 18 months. And so I was just like, what's wrong with me? You know, like <laughs> 10 years is a long time. And these were kids from the hood. Um, like these were the type of kids that you invite them to church, it was like, yo, mister, I'll throw a chair at you. Oh, okay, welcome to church. You know, like, it, it was tense. It was not the calmest thing. This one kid, the smartest, brightest young man, like of all the kids, his intelligence was so, wasn't even trying, just really, really sharp. But why that was so evident is because the other aspects of his life was such a contrast because he was running really hard with the bloods. And he was involved on a daily basis. He was doing things that could get him locked up for years. And I remember sitting with him and saying, man, you're so bright. There's such a future ahead of you. And you're on a really destructive path. Why? You're, you're, you know that this isn't good for you. You're too smart to not know that. And his answer was so sad and heavy, but clear. He said, broken family. He said, these folks have become my family because the family I have is too broken for me to be with them. 
I never want to be home. The things this kid saw at home were horrendous. So he developed another family that he could belong to. That's how powerful our need to belong, that we'll actually develop attachments with things that are destructive to us just to feel like we belong. And yet, in verse 9, God tells us something so profound that the Holy Spirit, living inside of us, says anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. What it tells us, and this needs some parceling out, because in reality, everyone alive belongs to God. No one here is living a life independent or fully like where God is completely cut off. No, we all belong to God. But only those whom the Spirit of God lives in experience that belonging. Another way of putting it is that most of humanity is having an estranged experience with their father. God at best has visitation rights. At best, he, he can drop in their life at different moments, but there isn't a real viable connection with him ongoingly. But for us, who have come to faith in Jesus, the Spirit of God lives in us, and one of the realities he's trying to impress on our lives is not just that he lives in us, but that we belong to him. You belong to Jesus if the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You are his. The creator of the universe says you belong to him. He says, that's mine. That's my kid. That's my child. You and I belong to him. And we live under that powerful reality. And why it's different, this is a really profound difference to take note of, is that we belong to God because he chose us to belong to him, not because we are doing anything that merits us belonging to him. In other words, you and I are not trying to earn belonging to God. We are the recipients of God saying, because I live in you, I need you to know you belong to me. You're mine. And I'm going to care for you like you're mine. And you need to know that. You need to settle that, that you belong to me. I, I can't think of better news to hit our souls than the fact that the living God says, you belong to me. You're mine. And he's that committed to us. He's that bent on being our God, on being so present in our lives that the best way that he knows how to communicate it to us, that it hits our souls. He says, you belong to me. Jesus came, died, was buried, rose from the dead to do many things, but perhaps one of the most profound things that can happen in our hearts by letting that reality shape us is that you and I could walk in this life with that truth in our hearts saying, I belong to God because of what Jesus has done. If I disobey, doesn't change my belonging because my belonging was accomplished by him. It's not kept together by me. 
the stress that that relieves from us, if we believe that, that your sense of belonging doesn't depend on the fervency of your obedience. That if you feel red hot for Jesus right now, that doesn't increase your sense of belonging. If tomorrow you feel like you're lack, lagging and not fired up, and that doesn't decrease your sense of belonging because we are declared to belong to him by God himself because of what he has done. The good news of the gospel of Jesus, what he's accomplished is that you and I can now belong to God. And live in light of that truth. You see, the Christian community, we're defined by our beliefs. Our beliefs are quite important. But we experience those beliefs through a sense of belonging. We belong to Jesus, which allows us to belong to each other. To belong to Jesus, according to this verse, is to be counted among the redeemed. And the good news, the further good news, is that we don't walk in the Spirit. That's the theme of Romans 8, in order to belong to Jesus. But because we belong to Jesus, we can now walk in the Spirit. The power that you and I need to walk in the Spirit, first and foremost, becomes ours by us belonging to God. That's the confidence. That's the hope. And, and that's a relief for us because the walking in the Spirit doesn't hinge on your willpower or mine, our determination, our, I'm going to do this this time. It, it doesn't depend on any kind of grit on ourselves. First and foremost, the foundation of us walking with Jesus, walking in the Spirit, is the fact that he said we belong to him. I belong to God. Could you say that over your, your soul right now, over your heart? I belong to God. Imagine declaring that over yourself during some of the tough moments of life, during the tensions, during the setbacks, the disappointments, the, the confusing times, to just stop and pause and say, all of this may be murky and unclear, but this is not. This is clear. I belong to God. I belong to God. You know why that gives me personal good news? Because that lets me know that my mess belongs to God. That like the messy things in my life, I'm not going to have to clean them up on my own. Because I can't clean them up on my own. I've tried. But he says, hey, you belong to me, messes and all. You know when he says you belong to him, he's including your bank account. He's including your overdrafting. He's including, he's including your debt. He's including your student loans. Can someone say amen? He's including your rent. He's including the pressures of life. He's including the stresses of work. He's including the, the, just the, the challenges you face. He's including your hopes, your dreams, your future. All of that belongs to God. He's not compartmentalizing. He's not saying just your spirit belongs to me. All of us belongs to him. But it doesn't just stop there. By virtue of the Spirit living inside of us, God dwelling in us, verse 11 says something quite profound. It says, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead 
dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. At various points in Romans 8 and in other parts of Romans 6, um, it tells us that the, that the body is dead because of sin. And then it will say the spirit is life because of righteousness. And so it introduces this idea that with respect to obeying God, our bodies are kind of of no use unto themselves. That independent from God infusing his life in us through his spirit, our bodies are incapable of obeying God. They're lifeless. They're dead. But the good news is that the spirit of God lives inside of us and he infuses our bodies with his life. And now this body that once was a hurdle, once was like adamantly resistant to saying yes to God, now finds the capacity, the resources to follow God because the Spirit lives inside of us, giving us this power to obey, to follow Jesus. Did you stop to consider before this moment, because after this moment, I'm going to invite you to never stop considering this. But prior to this moment, have you ever had like something happen to you and then the, the reality of this verse kind of hits you and say, wait a second, the spirit of God lives in me. And because of that, I have access to the same resurrection power that rose Jesus from the dead. Think about that. Whenever you feel weak, overwhelmed, whenever you feel deficient, like you don't have what you need in and of yourself, verse 11 is telling us that because the Spirit lives inside of us, the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, that same power is available to you and I animating us, giving life to our mortal bodies, and now we can obey God and follow his will because the Spirit makes it possible. What does that look like in practical life? Perhaps you've had the experience or are having the experience of fighting through an addiction. And if you've ever fought through an addiction, you know how challenging it is where the urges, the memories, the habits that are formed around this addiction, it's almost like, like someone knocking on a door until you open. And it's just constantly there, just saying, let me in. And you're trying to ignore it because you know if you open that door, you know what happens. You know the shame that rushes in. You know the regret. You know it's not going to meet your deep needs. You've been down this road before, but yet the, the addiction's still knocking and, and what happens in those moments? You feel powerless. You feel helpless. You feel trapped. Or perhaps this, this may be relatable. Maybe there's a relationship in your life. It could be with a loved one, a friend, a family member, where there's just a deep, profound impasse. Where no matter what you do, no matter how you try, there's just a relational roadblock. And you can't work through it. And so you're stuck. You, you can't say too much. You say too little. doesn't matter what you do. You're both stuck because there's so much history, pain, tension, 
and you don't know how to make work forward. Or maybe there's patterns in your life that you're recognizing are actually not new because they existed in your parents and in your parents' parents. And now it's in your life because it's, it's your opportunity to either perpetuate this or by the power of the Holy Spirit break that cycle. But you're up against it and it's difficult. What would it look like in those moments to pause and say, the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. And I have access to the same power that rose Jesus from the dead right now. Imagine how different things would be. I'll give you an example from my own life. Um, if you don't know this, uh, Puerto Ricans, if the boy in the home grows up like a prince, um, like I didn't do chores. First time I did laundry, I was 18 when I moved out. Um, yeah, it's bad, it's bad. Um, uh, but also a really glorious experience. But anyway, um, if you're the boy. And so it was terrible. Uh, the result of it was that uh, I was like a man-child for a lot of years before I got married. I had to grow up fast and hard because I didn't have 18 years of <laughs> preparation for that. <clears throat> I get married. And now, like, in my marriage, I, I really want to be present. I want to be the best possible husband I can. And so for me, it required to go against the grain of a lot of the things my culture taught me. In my culture, men don't cook, men don't clean. Like that, no, that's, that you're, that's not what men do. And so first year of my marriage, and my mom comes over, and I'm washing dishes, and I'm cooking for everybody. Now, I don't know if my mother is the only one that has this superpower, you know, maybe your mother hasn't learned this skill. My mother has the ability to say things that no one else can say. Like, it could be an incomplete sentence and just words. And it pushes buttons I didn't even know I had. <laughs> maybe it's just my mother. We've talked this stuff through. I'm not being dishonoring. Me and my mother are very close. She's, like, amazing. I have the utmost respect for her. During this moment, she's watching me do this, and she says... So you're cooking. That was it. <laughs> and what she didn't say was, I thought I raised a man. I, I, I know my culture. Um, wow. This is a downgrade. I expected different. So she's judging me, judging my wife. And at that moment, I'm at the sink. And like my kids are there, and I'm like, I don't want them to see me blow up on my mom. Um, this is not good. I also want to honor her. And so literally under my breath, I'm saying, Holy Spirit, please meet me right now. <laughs> because here's what was so challenging. Like, the opposite of like preaching, God using my words to bring life, is that my words, if I let them, could bring some real damage. And so I knew I could have said things right there that would have seared her. And so I said, Holy Spirit, help me. And 
And so I turned to my mom and said, well, mom, I love my family. That's a good thing, right? She's like, yeah. So this is one, one of the ways that I love them. I cook for them, I clean. I get to show my sons a different way of being a man. This is good. This is good for my family. And you want good for my family, right? She's like, yeah. I said, um, I love you. Is there anything I could do for you? And she said, I don't need nothing. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it wasn't a Hallmark moment fully, but I didn't blow up. I, I didn't say searing things. Not because of any capacity I had within myself. It's because the Holy Spirit, his power, filled my body. Gave me words that were not my natural words. And helped me to respond in a way that only Jesus could have helped me respond. Imagine in your life, whatever those scenarios are. Because I felt weak at that moment. I felt powerless. I knew what I could do. I knew my default in that moment. I felt attacked. I'm going to attack. And the Holy Spirit came in that moment and totally changed my heart, my response. In your life, what are the weak things, the weak moments where you're overcome that you know if the Spirit doesn't fill you with his life and his power, you know your default? What would it look like from here on out when you meet those moments that you feel overwhelmed, under-resourced, that you remind yourself, the Spirit of God lives in me. The same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in me. And he gives life to my mortal body right now. And you, you lean into that promise and say, thank you, Holy Spirit, for filling me with your life for giving my body the energy, the life, the resources it needs to say yes to Jesus. Imagine how different our experience would be in our battles against our addictions, in our battles against patterns of life that have been passed on to us, in these relational tensions that we have, if in those moments we realize the reality of the spirit that's available to you and I, not because of anything we've done or earned or our goodness, but simply because God says, you belong to me because of what my son has done. And I live in you. I dwell in you. How different things would be. Heard this quote this past week, um, and it's an adaptation. I've heard it from different folks, so I don't know who the original source is. Um, but the quote was, the answer to the question, who are you, is best answered by whose are you? In our world that's constantly struggling to find identity, who are you? We have an incredible advantage because we get to respond and say, I know whose I, whose I am, who I belong to. And that defines who I am. We belong to God because of what Jesus has done. And he makes it possible to experience that belonging. But I wonder as we close, how many of us would say that you are actively experiencing that sense of belonging with the Father? Or would you categorize your relationship with God as, I know he's my Father, but I feel a bit estranged. Imagine 
you and I allowing the Holy Spirit to change that in us. And we walk from here on out with a sense of I belong to the Father because of what Jesus has done. The Spirit lives in me. The resurrecting power of Jesus is available because he lives in me. You know, the older I get, as we close and as the worship team comes forward, my definition of a mature, strong Christian keeps changing. And my latest image of what a functional, growing, mature Christian is, is someone on life support. Someone for whom, if you take away any of these machines, they can't live on their own. Where they are absolutely sustained and made alive by something outside of them. You and I are much like that. We can't obey on our own. We can't even experience belonging on our own. We need God to do all these things that he does in order for us to experience the vastness of his love. He he wants to make sure that you and I know the depths of his love so much that he lives inside of us to make sure of that. Like he's not delegating that job to anybody else, saying, I'm going to live inside of you just so I could be that constant perpetual presence in your life reminding you, you belong to me. I'm empowering you to do what I'm calling you to do. Can I invite us to stand? And over the next few moments, I want to encourage you as we respond in song and in prayer that the prayer team is in the back, to my right and to your left. And over these next few moments, if you would like prayer, all you would have to do is slip out of your seat and go and receive prayer in the back. They're waiting. They would love to pray with you regarding any of the words that were shared earlier or anything you need prayer, anything the message might have spoken to you. I want to encourage you, receive prayer before you go. Could I invite us, could we raise our hands in the presence of God as we turn to him now, as we respond in worship and song, as we turn to him? Jesus, meet us now. Let's worship him.